for tuning in to The Right Stuff, a show about readers and writers for readers and writers. I am Rachel A.G. Gilman, a writer, wanderer, and also your humble host. Each week, I will be speaking with a new writer, and then they'll give us a special reading of their work. So, let's get started. Today, I'm joined by Annalise Lee Reed, who I met working in the news department here at WNYU. Annalise is the writer, producer, and director of the radio drama Underground, which you just heard. She was born in Minnesota and has spent most of her life in Minneapolis. She has been writing since middle school, starting with poetry and prose, then moved on to scripts for film and the stage. She was very involved in theater and art throughout her childhood, which led to an interest in film production, which she now studies at NYU's Tisch School of the Arts. Underground won Best Radio Drama last year at the Intercollegiate Broadcasting System Awards. It is currently on its second season with over 20 episodes. She hopes beyond NYU to begin directing and doing cinematography as a full-time job. Thanks for joining me on the show, Annalise. How did you get interested in writing? Well, I've been reading since I was pretty young. I, I think I started out with Laura Ingalls Wilder and went on to like Harry Potter and stuff like that. I think I just got into writing because I just, I, I've always needed to be creative. I just like if I am not creative for a little while, I'm just like always down in the dumps. So I guess I just needed a way of you know speaking out my own vision. So I just kind of started writing a bit, mostly stupid little things. I think in middle school I wrote like a 16 thousand word story that was terrible and pretty much just a knockoff Lord of the Rings <laughs> <laughs> and um, I went from there and uh, eventually got much better in high school. What's your process like? Is it different depending on whether you're writing scripts or stories? Uh, definitely. I think with um, short stories I just start writing. Um, I'll have an idea and I'll just start banging words out onto the page. With scripts, you have to put a lot more work into how the plot works. Now that I've, I've been studying at Tisch, we took a screenwriting class in which we figure out the, how the arc of a story should work, that you should have an inciting incident that then turns into the beginning of Act 2. And then as you're going on Act 2, it should be going to this midpoint term where everything starts going bad. And then you go into Act 3, and then there's a the climax and everything like that. So I've found now that I can't write a script without doing all of that first. Because otherwise, I have no idea where I'm going. A lot of it is more showing than telling. It's a lot of descriptions, but not being too descriptive because you can only describe what they can actually show on screen. You can't say all this history that the character had because you can't see that on screen. Or if, if you do that in the script, then the director thinks that they have to put it on screen, which you don't want to do because it messes up the story. Is there one piece of advice you would give anybody interested in writing and or a book an author or maybe a screenwriter or a film who changed your perspective on writing? I would say to just start reading a lot and a lot of different things. And eventually you'll kind of find uh, a genre that you prefer and start learning the vocabulary of that genre. How people talk about things. The way that people talk in fantasy is very different than they talk in sci-fi versus just realism. So you need to get used to how the vocabulary and the flow of words work. And then you can kind of get into it and once you get to that point, just start. Write total crap. Just don't even try to write anything good. I would suggest trying um, the National Novel Writing Month. Never done more than like a week. But you get some good stuff out of it because it forces you to not edit. Because when you edit too much, you end up getting into your head too much and you just can't write anymore. Also, I would suggest taking a class 
because I don't think I get any good at writing until I took a class at the university in Minneapolis. I began writing a lot more and thinking more about how I wrote and where the story was going because I needed to know that I was showing it to someone and they needed to understand versus what I'm doing in my head because what I'm writing makes sense in my head but it may make no sense at all to someone else. So what are you going to read for us? <laughs> I have a short story. Um, actually, I think it was the final story I wrote for my class I, I was telling you about in the university, where we had to write two short stories. We had them read in class, and we workshopped them endlessly until we finally got a final draft. So this is the final draft that I wrote for the class. The story is called A Little Higher. There's a statue in Rome that depicts the four major rivers of the world all pouring glistening water into a fountain pasted with gold and copper pennies that reflect onto people's faces as they pass on Vespas and bicycles. Children run everywhere, out of reach of their parents, weaving through the street performers and vendors. The sun's rays bathe the stones with the golden light, warming the air as the buildings create cool refuge. Everywhere you looked, you see something that makes you love the square even more. It is here that I saw the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. She was painting in the middle of the square, swatches of red and yellow paint on her arms and face, splatters speckling her dark hair as she smoothed the colors over the surface of the canvas. I saw her and nearly walked over to ask if I could treat her to the gelateria down the side street to my apartment, nearly asked her name and peered at her masterpiece so I could wonder at her soul. But I didn't. I walked past, holding the hand of my girlfriend. Her name was Charlotte, and she was a musician. A cellist with an attitude that can shake the gods down from heaven to worship her on the stage. Every lingering note was a song of its own, a story that the beholder can only capture a glimpse of. Listening to her was listening to a fiery magic. I met her at a bar after one of her concerts. She walked through the door in the biggest, bluest dress I'd ever seen, and little diamonds flew over the fabrics, making it seem as if she was wearing the universe. Everyone was staring at her as she sat down on a stool and ordered a drink, but when she met their stares with a glare, they quickly turned back to their conversations and took care not to look back. I succeeded in not gawking by taking the opportunity to use the restroom. When I finished, I came out and tumbled, winding up with my face making friends with the very unreasonable, grimy tiles of the floor. I stayed there for a few moments until a voice piped up. I'd like it very much if you'd remove yourself from my person, thank you. It was a dejected sound, but smooth and unwavering at the same time, like the sand on a beach that has been mown over by water too many times. I threw myself backwards and found myself facing Charlotte, lying on the floor with her back against the wall, her legs blocking the hall. Her arms were crossed against her chest, and her heels were thrown a bit further down. She looked at me, her brown hair rippling over her shoulders, then looked past me into the doorway of the rest of the bar. Someone was shouting about cheating at a card game. The complaining nestled in among numerous clinks of glasses as they hit each other and the tables. When she looked back, I finally mustered up the courage to speak. I'm Alex, I said, settling myself to sit against the wall and face her. Congrats, I was graciously awarded with Charlotte. She glared down the hall, then shifted to face me. If you're looking to hook up, you are sadly mistaken if you think I am a good candidate. I sat there for a moment, trying to think of what to say. I intelligently came up with, I, I'm not sure. I, I'm just wondering if what you were doing in the shore. After a few more awkward starts and stops of conversation, most of them highly uncomfortable at my end, we finally got to talking, neither of us having any real reason to go out and join the crowds. She had just come from her fifth concert that week at Carnegie Hall, playing with the London Symphony Orchestra. 
She'd been asked to stay behind at the theater for a party, but she refused because, frankly, she was tired of being someone for others to gawk at and call a success. She wanted to be an artist, to not be at the peak of her talent, and to never be pushed to climb a little higher. Charlotte said, If one more person calls me a success, then I'm going to quit playing the cello right at that moment. Success means the end of growth, and I'm going to die before that happens to me. I nodded at this, liking the reasoning. She'd asked if I had ever heard of her. Charlotte LeClaire. I said I had not, and that seemed to lighten her up a bit. I told her about myself, how I'd recently been fired from my job at an insurance firm, and I had finally finished my quest to try every drink in the bar about two hours ago. One every night for the past month, I proudly boasted. She laughed at that and asked me my favorite, which I replied to as the lemon margarita. She rolled her eyes and got up, walking down the hall to pick up her shoes. I asked where she was going. She said she was going home. I have another concert in the morning, then I have to fly to Baltimore for a convention. There's no fun in my business. Strictly work. I stood as well, dusting off my pants with three large swipes with each hand. It did do much help. She noted that. She began to walk away. I caught up to her and offered to buy her a dinner before she went back to the hotel, and she agreed. We went to a nearby diner, she in her dress and I in my t-shirt and jeans. I had a hamburger, and she had the house soup. We laughed. We talked about our parents and our siblings. I had two brothers, and she had one. I returned her to her hotel at three in the morning where she gave me her number, and I gave her a kiss. Then we left each other. When she returned to New York City, we began to date. I taught her how to play pool and to not crush a car, and she taught me a few notes in the cello. My parents loved her. Her parents tolerated me. She moved permanently to the city, and we talked to traveling together, visiting cities that she'd never played in and ones that I'd only heard about on the news. We settled on Rome. We bought an apartment on the Corso Vittorio Emmanuel II, then flew over within a month of our decision. She wanted to get away and practice the cello without the constant nagging of her parents and her agent, and I wanted to be with her. Both were achieved successfully. Every day, she would push me out of the apartment to practice cello for eight hours, and I would respect this by walking through the streets. I got a job as a delivery man for a grocer who didn't ask for Italian citizenship papers, so there was money to live on besides Charlotte's restaurant music job. In the United States, she was a famous classical musician, but here, she was new, and she loved it. We were out walking when we came upon the square with a statue in the fountain. Charlotte had read about it in a book, and I was glad to be walking with her for a change. Then I saw her, the woman with the paint and the canvas, like a sapphire among diamonds. I felt myself starting to cry out for her, wanting to know her in every aspect. I forced myself to walk onward and focus on Charlotte, telling her a joke to remind myself that it was her laugh that I wanted so badly. I saw that woman's face on my eyelids every time I closed my eyes to sleep. I would return to the square every day when I was walking in the locked-out times. Every day she was splattered in a new color, the days blending together like ghosts in her hair. With each new color, I would become a bit closer. Soon, I could see her painting, the sun shining on the stones, each crack forming into a sketch of a Roman building. It was the day she wore a sun hat that she noticed me. She stopped mid-stroke on the Pantheon and turned her around to face me. Can I help you? Her voice was spiced with a rich Italian accent, and I found it very hard to answer back. She raised an eyebrow. You speak English, yes? I nodded my head. She began to pick up her painting supplies and cover her canvas with a white sheet. She pointed to the coffee shop on the edge of the square. Coffee? I nodded my head. She was beautiful. Her name was Susanna Botticelli. She was hoping to get an art show in the future, and she was originally from Florence. She loved to dance to classical music in her free time, and her favorite coffee was espresso with milk. We began to meet each other every day, and each day we grew a bit closer. Knew each other better, at first in the coffee shop, then her apartment. 
Charlotte found out two days later. I thought you loved me, she yelled at me, but I guess you were too busy to tell me that you were an ass. I told her that I'd realized I loved someone else, and I couldn't lie to her anymore. I apologized once. She brandished her bow like a sword in my face, asking why I thought I was too good for her. She pushed me out of the door with a torn bag of clothes, yelling that she'd keep the apartment. I didn't care. I had Susanna. A neighbor opened his door and looked at me, giving me a look of annoyance before muttering in Italian and slamming his door closed. Susanna and I dated for six months after Charlotte kicked me out. I went with her on her appointments with art directors and museum curators, smiling and talking positively about her work. We'd walk by Charlotte's restaurant and I could hear her music through the windows and over the clatter of plates and small talk. Susanna made a comment about the quiver of the bow, how it made the music more amateur, and I nodded and said nothing. In September, she got into an art show at the Galleria Lorcan O'Neill Roma. I didn't see a lot of her during the weeks prior to the opening, so I took to walking the streets again. I walked by Charlotte's restaurant a couple more times, knowing full well she wouldn't be there. She would be in our apartment practicing. I let the sun soak into my skin, and I listened to the fountain and people passing. It was as if nothing had changed at all in the past several months since I had arrived in Rome. The night of the opening, Susanna was bubbling. The calm woman painting in the square was gone, replaced by a woman who knew only the lights of fame. She spoke forever about the curator and his ideals. He says that my work is magnificent and belongs on the walls of the Louvre. He told me that people would be buying my work by the truckloads if I had that many paintings. He says that enough tickets have been sold tonight to make me a success. Immediately when we entered the gallery, she dislodged herself from my grip and left to mingle at the curator's side as he talked about her in front of prominent artisans. I looked at the walls that rose over my head and shed light over the people and paintings below. I watched Suzanne with her arm on the curator's arm, her laugh chiming in with his as I drank champagne. I left quickly and walked down the streets to my old apartment. The lights were off and the neighbor gave me an annoyed stare again as I knocked on the door to be let in. I stared back, then wandered off to the restaurant. I watched Charlotte through the window, a rose in her hair and a small smile on her face. The expression on her face turned to a frown when she came outside half an hour later. We stood there a moment, facing each other, I in my tuxedo and she in her short red dress. I've come to ask for you back, I said slowly. Her frown grew deeper. The woman of your dreams isn't so wonderful after all? No. <laughs> That's too bad. I won't be taking you back, signore. I think I can climb a little higher. Thank you so much to Annalise for coming in today. If you have any questions or if you'd like to be featured as a writer on the show, shoot me an email at rachelg at wnyu.org. Until next time, I'm Rachel A.G. Gilman, and this has been The Right Stuff on WNYU.org.